Have you ever done anything that you look back on with regret? Uh, relationships you've poisoned, children you've neglected, parents you've wounded, friends uh, you've ghosted or ignored or just given in to temptations that still haunt your mind to this day. Uh, humans are specialists in wounding ourselves and wounding others. Uh, we're constantly stalked by our past and we're never to rid ourselves of it. And Abraham, he's a man who is stalked by his past. He's a man that's constantly getting himself into trouble, making foolish decisions, living in uh, multiple messy situations simultaneously. Uh, for some of us who are believers in God and trust in God alone for our salvation, uh, we can still lead very messy, broken and chaotic lives. And do you feel this way? One of the amazing things about our passage today is that we're going to see that God operates in messiness. He operates in the brokenness of our lives. For those who he dearly loves, for his children, he still is at work. We see how God remains faithful, even in a cloud of sin, even in amongst the turmoil. And if you're anything like me and you carry deep wounds and you carry regrets and troubles and trials and griefs and traumas, this is a passage that has something really important to say to you. So I've got three major points that I want to share with you today from this passage. The first one is that God is faithful to his promises. The second one is that God is faithful to provide for us. And the third one is that God is faithful to defend us. So let's get into our passage, Genesis 21 verses 1 to 7. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. You know, finally, this moment that we've been waiting for is here. Isaac is born, this promised child, the promised seed, the offspring of the covenant is finally here. That great promise that uh, God made to Abraham that he'll make a great nation out of him, that all the nations will be blessed is finally here in Isaac. And Sarah has conceived, she's born this son and decades of promise to Abraham has finally been fulfilled. This is a great moment of celebration. There's immense joy in Abraham's household. The true child of the promise is born. Many of our, us parents can remember that joy of holding that newborn in our arms, the relief of finally having that baby after so long of waiting, so much suffering for the mums. And it's this wonderful moment of pain and joy mixed together in this strange kind of concoction. And, and it's right to feel joy at a child. Uh, Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Uh, children are an immense blessing from God. And our society may not see children as an immense blessing from God, but that doesn't detract from the fact that they are an immense blessing from God. Whether we believe it or not, it simply is true. And it's something that God has given to us, even though it comes with hardship. 
And all blessings from God ultimately come with hardship. But that's the way that God likes it. I'm certain delivering a baby at the age of 90 was no small feat for Sarah. That was a big deal for her. It was tough, uh, but she finally has gotten this child. After so many years of being barren, unable to conceive, the cultural pressure around her to conceive and have a child, that pressure just from the promise given to Abraham. And finally, she has this son, Isaac. And Isaac's name means he laughs. And that's the defining feature about Isaac is laughter. Because laughter is what defines this young boy in his life, this joy. Sarah remarks that anyone who hears about how she's gonna, she gave birth at the age of 90 is just going to laugh. Not laughing at her, but laughing with her. You know, Sarah previously had laughed cynically at the idea of her falling pregnant and having a son. And now she's laughing in celebration. Up until this point, she didn't allow herself to rejoice. Even when she fell pregnant, even when it was so close at her fingertips, the baby was not in her arms and she didn't allow herself to laugh. And too many factors could just take it all from her. But God has been faithful to Abraham and Sarah. And God has done what only he can do. He has worked a miracle and Abraham and Sarah must have felt foolish for all of their worrying and stressing in the past and all their attempts to fulfill God's promises on his behalf for him. And God has come through abundantly because God keeps his promises. Often we doubt the promises of God. We expect God to operate within our timelines and within our um, kind of margin, within what we want. And God proves time and time again that he will work what he wills and he will make it happen. Not that we are passive, not that we don't do things because Sarah and Abraham still had to, you know, make Isaac. They still had to, they still had a part to play within God's plans, but God gave them the outcome. He gave them the success. And often God leaves his provision sometimes to the last possible moment. So we know that it came from him. There is no other source that it came from. He's a master at coming through at midnight, just when we'd given up hope. And in these moments, we realize just how foolish our worrying and our fretting and our anxiety has been all along. If God has promised it, it is secure. Because if God's promises are not secure, if God's promises can't be relied on, then we have no hope in this world. He will accomplish it. As surely as the sun rises in the morning and the stars twinkle in the night sky, God remains steady today, yesterday, and forever. He remains the same. And Abraham took the name that God had given to him. He named his son Isaac. On the eighth day, he circumcised Isaac. And something that I imagine would have been very hard for Abraham to do, to circumcise this precious little baby that he has uh, suffered so long for, especially his wife, Sarah. But out of joy, Abraham prioritizes God's commandments. And obedience to God is always more important than our emotions and our feelings. Obedience to God was where Abraham ought to have walked all this time and yet had come up with all these different ways. And he celebrates this great feast, this celebration when Isaac is weaned. He's getting pretty old now. He's, he's ready to move on um, from his mother's care. And everyone in Abraham's camp is having a great time. They're all loving uh, the time except for one person. 
Ishmael. You may have forgotten about Ishmael. But he's there and he's not happy. And this brings me to my second point. God is faithful to provide for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a great nation out of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. All right, well, now we've got a different kind of laughter. This is the laughter of Ishmael. This obviously isn't a good kind of laughter because Sarah is immediately threatened and worried about this kind of laughter. She's concerned about it. Uh, Paul tells us in Galatians 4.29 that Ishmael persecuted Isaac and he did it through disdain and ridicule. Ishmael was uh, quite annoyed, obviously. The passage says he is likely 14 years of age and he has nothing but contempt and probably hatred for Sarah. You will remember from Genesis 16 how harshly Sarah mistreated Hagar. And Ishmael's grown up with this woman, Sarah, mistreating his mum, mistreating his mother. And he, he has grown up the son of the slave woman, this unlikely sole inheritor of Abraham's possessions. And it's all ripped away from him. He will receive none of it now. The only thing standing between Ishmael... And becoming the next leader of Abraham's tribe is this little baby. It's the only thing standing between him and receiving everything. And he laughs at him. And he shows his contempt for his younger half-brother. And his jealousy at being relegated to second place is obvious to see. And this moment that everyone was celebrating Isaac, well, there was one who was not celebrating It was a slap in the face for Ishmael. This is kind of that edgy, atheist teenage phase maybe that he was going through. He was starting to reject this family that he'd felt wronged him his whole life. Because of that, he was dangerous. Very dangerous. And so understandably, Sarah enters 
full mama bear mode, doesn't she? She demands Ishmael and Hagar be cast out of the camp. She's taking no chances. She wants them gone. She doesn't even name them. She refers to Hagar as this slave woman. And you remember that Hagar has been Sarah's uh, handmaiden for so long. And she casts her out. And what's amazing is that this whole Ishmael situation was Sarah's idea in the first place. But she knows that Ishmael is an ongoing threat. And the longer Ishmael stays in the camp... Well, her son Isaac is in great danger and she wants to solve it permanently. You've got to understand that Abraham loved Ishmael. He loved that boy. It was his son for so long, his only son. And the text says that the whole thing was very displeasing to Abraham. That's the Hebrew way of saying that Abraham was distressed and upset by this huge, massive conflict that has been going on in his camp for so long and it was threatening to tear everything in two. And that foolish decision that Abraham made long ago to sleep with Hagar is coming back to haunt him. When I say coming back, it's been haunting him for a long time. This has created long-lasting conflict and messiness within his household, and it was at the point of breaking. And often the consequences of our past don't just leave us because... Some time has come along. Usually these things over time fester and grow and morph. They follow us around. Bad decisions and foolish behavior can haunt us for our entire lives. And this conflict between Sarah and Hagar was never going to go away. And it was going to be passed on to their sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And while these sons remained together, well, there was a lot of danger. Abraham struggles to come to terms with it. He doesn't know what to do. And so God acts into this situation. There is no easy solution for this problem. There is no just get along. There is no unity that can be brought about. In fact, the only solution was for Hagar and Ishmael to be cast out of the camp. They were to leave. And God promises Abraham... This is a tough situation for Abraham to have to go through. But he says, I will provide for your son. I will care for him because God is faithful to provide for our needs. And Abraham has just got this perfect illustration of that in this little baby Isaac. And he knows that God is going to take care of his other son Ishmael too. And God is saying to Abraham, Sarah's right. She can't stay. Sarah was out of line, 100%. Sarah was being ridiculous and demanding things of Abraham when she ought not to have done that. And yet, she was right. Abraham rose early that morning. He gives them some supplies and he casts them out of the camp. And it's a sad solution, a terrible solution, but the only solution to this problem. Abraham trusted the fate of his son Ishmael to God and rested on the promises of God. And he knew that just as God had given him Isaac, so he would also protect Ishmael. And Hagar and Ishmael wander in the wilderness of Beersheba. And there they quickly run out of water. They're dehydrated and exhausted. And Hagar is at her wit's end. And her son Isaac, so dehydrated that she's worried at any moment he's going to die, places him under a bush. And retreats away from him so she doesn't have to hear or see him die. And it is a terrible story. 
It is a sad story. She places the weak and dying Isaac under this bush, retreats a bow shot away, and just as God showed up last second with Isaac, so also does he show up last second with Ishmael, just so that Hagar knows who provides for her, that she knows that God is looking after her, that it is no other source that does that. And you can tell just how much God dearly loves Hagar. God knows that Hagar has been thrust into these situations against her will. And listen to the way this, uh, his angel speaks to her. He says, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God has heard the fate of the young boy Ishmael. He's heard Hagar's cry and he encourages her once again to trust in him and to trust in her God. And there is a lie that is going around that's taught in churches that if we follow God, things are going to go well for us. If we follow God, we're going to have health, we're going to have wealth, we're going to have prosperity. That if we trust in God, we're not going to experience suffering or loss or grief, but that's just simply not true. God allows us to go through all sorts of suffering for all sorts of reasons. And often we don't get to find out the reasons. And what he requires from us through that suffering is trust. He requires us to trust him. He never promises us no suffering. We will face all sorts of trials in this life because our world is fallen and bad things happen. And God is in a process of bringing things together underneath the rule and reign of Christ. But it is a process. And so we can expect suffering to occur. We will lose people. We will lose jobs. We will lose health. We'll find ourselves in dark places and in turmoil. And it's not whether we will go through these things, but when. And when we do... Do we trust that God will provide for his people? Because in the Hagar and Ishmael situation, God provides, but he doesn't take away their suffering immediately. Do we truly trust that God cares about us? We may be tempted at the time to think that God just simply doesn't care. But listen to the angel here. It's obvious that God cares about Hagar. He never promises us a problem-free life, not even slightly, but he promises to be with us in the messiness and brokenness. He promises to love us even though our foolish and sinful choices follow us around. And for all of us who follow Jesus, God will provide. He opens up Hagar's eyes. She sees a well. Ishmael's saved. He's going to make it. They finally have somewhere to regain their strength. And it says that God was with the boy. And it's a phrase that's all throughout scripture that God is with us. That when we walk through the valley, God is with us. When we go out into the nations and proclaim the gospel, Jesus promises that he will be with us until the end of the age. And Ishmael grows up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He provides. But it's not going to be easy. Ishmael still had to struggle. He still had to fight hard for survival. But he had a future and he got a wife in Egypt 
and he became a great nation. And his mother, the slave, was now a free woman. And when we are struggling and we're in dire straits, remember this, God is faithful to provide for his children. The provision may not come when we like it, but we can rest assured that he will provide in his own time. And much of our fretting and our worrying would be alleviated if we simply just trusted in the Lord. Because God is with us. And do you believe that? When you go through trials, do you think he's abandoned you? Because God's word says quite deliberately, that is not the case. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. He is there. He is there. And he promises to be with us. Third point. God is faithful to defend us. At that time, Abimelech and Farkal, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech, about a well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Well, Abraham's troubles are not over with Hagar and Ishmael now leaving the camp. You might remember from last week that it was a tedious and delicate matter to sojourn or settle down amongst another group of people when you have a large group, a large clan. And here we see that Abimelech feels threatened by Abraham and decides to pay him a visit. But this visit isn't just the king. Abimelech comes with the commander of his army, this guy named Phicol. This is a tense situation. War looms on the horizon. And the reason that Abimelech is here is because he is trying to broker an alliance with Abraham. The marital alliance that they tried to make between him and Sarah, we remember, fell through as God intervened into that situation. So now there's room for suspicion and conflict. Uh, Most of the time when people sojourned along, it usually erupted eventually into conflict. Not only is Abraham dealing with conflict inside his household, but he's dealing with conflict out amongst the kings of the nations. And we would be wise to learn from Abraham to ensure that we don't fall into a similar trap by making foolish decisions and inviting conflict, not just in our households, but out in the world. We should learn to live peaceably with people around us. But God is with Abraham. And that's exactly what Abimelech leads with. He says, God is with you. 
And we see that this, uh, this concept of God being with us is still built on again. And he learned the hard way not to mess with Abraham. Remember last week when plagues came upon his household and the wombs of his women were closed and God came to him in a dream and threatened him. And Abraham, well, Abimelech now thinks of Abraham as a liar. He now thinks of Abraham as someone to be suspicious of. He doesn't trust Abraham and it makes good sense because Abraham lied to him. Abraham dealt falsely with him and brought him into a lot of uh, problems and Abraham's now branded as a troublemaker. Abraham's tarnished his reputation. Now Abimelech wants some level of, um, he wants some level of safety. I mean, Abraham's a liability. And so they begin to broker an agreement. So when Abraham brings up a matter that happened that we didn't read about from before, uh, that, that text hasn't brought up until now, Abimelech's people have seized a well that Abraham has dug. He's dug this well and they've seized it. It's kind of like a snooze you lose kind of thing. If he wasn't around, they grabbed it. Well, it's not your land, buddy, so it's not your well. I don't care if you dug it. And so Abraham decided not to risk war, not to risk any conflict. He lets it go. He lets this well go, but now he is being bold. You see, in the desert, water is the most valuable commodity. It's of more value than silver or gold. Sources of water don't just pop up anywhere. You can dig holes wherever you want and you're not going to hit water. So when you do hit water, it is valuable. That's where you can camp for a long period of time while that, water, while that well is still providing water. And it turns out that Abimelech doesn't even know, doesn't even know that they, his servants have seized it. And he puts it, he rectifies it straight away. He sorts the situation out. Abimelech, interestingly, is a man of note. He's a man of character and he's a man who holds God in high regard. Abraham completely misjudged Abimelech from last week. He pays, Abraham pays him tribute. They make a covenant and now Abraham has a place to dwell in safety. And throughout this chapter, we've seen three promises. One promise fulfilled in Isaac. One promise fulfilled in Ishmael to turn him into a great nation. And one promise made between Abraham and Abimelech, brokered by God. Because a covenant is an agreement that's three ways. It's between two parties and God. It has a horizontal element and a vertical element. And God will uh, punish those who break his covenant, break a covenant brokered before him. And Abraham's whole story ultimately is marked by one word, and that is promise. Are the promises of God precious to you? Do you delight in them? Because they are our only hope. As you read the Bible, we always encounter colorful, flawed characters. We always encounter people that uh, have all sorts of flaws. And throughout every page within the Bible, we see God's continued faithfulness to a wayward people. We see his continued faithfulness to a sinful people because God is always calling his people to himself. 
He promises to do that and we see him doing that right now in our world, in our community around us. You just have to open up your eyes and you see that the Spirit is calling his people to him. Look at the last line of our passage, verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The end of this tale is worship. It's worship. Abraham has endured many trials and suffered many things, but he knows where his hope lies, and that's in the name of the Lord, the one true everlasting God, who all, which all things are held together by. He's the one eternal being and the only being of eternal value. We see here that all of Abraham's past foolish decisions, which have been haunting him for his whole life, God is slowly bringing order into that chaos. He's slowly bringing in, um, he's slowly bringing in order into the mess. And Abraham's hope lies in God alone. And so, whatever we face in our lives, we must remember that God is with us in the messiness and brokenness. Turn to Him for healing. Obey Him and let Him work in your life to bring in healing and order. Let Him help you to make decisions, sometimes that are hard, like casting out Ishmael was a hard decision for Abraham, but it was something that he needed to do. And sometimes we need to, we need to move on from things, and other times we need to reconcile things. And it's great that we see these two examples. One where you make a cut and you break from something that can cause untold strife in the future, and you reconcile with a party who you have conflict with, like Abimelech and Abraham. And it shows us in this passage the different ways in which God uh, brings order into mess. But you've got to let Him. You've got to be obedient to him. And maybe in the past you haven't been obedient. Maybe in the past you have made bad decisions. You can't fix your past, but you can fix what you do now. You can't fix whether you obeyed God in the past, but you can fix whether you obey God now. You can control what you do now. The past version of you is gone. You can't fix that. So what are you withholding from God? What area of your life is causing you constant strife, is causing you constant conflict? Where are you withholding from God? What do you place your value in? Put your hope in God. Just like Abraham, call on the mighty name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Put your hope in Him and His promises and trust Him with your mess and obey Him even though it's hard. Because that's where our joy is found. And that's where we can celebrate when God comes through in his promises, just like he did with that little baby Isaac. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. That you have given us all things. And through your son Jesus, we can have hope that our sin will finally be dealt with. Lord, that our messiness and our brokenness will ultimately dealt with because of the blood of your son, Jesus, who was poured out on our behalf. When your wrath and anger poured out on him on that day, when the day was turned to darkness and your son, Jesus, died 
and on the third day rose again from the dead so that we could have newness of life. Thank you, Lord, that you have healed us and given us your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to uproot messiness and brokenness in our life, to take areas that we are holding back from you and give them to you, to obey you in all things and to seek your will and your word above all else. Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Lord, you have been good to us. And Lord, you have not promised us a suffering-free life. You have not promised to give us an easy life. But you have promised to give us a joy-filled and hopeful life, resting in the promises of your Son, Jesus. And so I pray for my friends that are listening and hearing this today, Lord. I pray that you would be working in their hearts, that you would be bringing to their attention by your Holy Spirit areas where they need to put their hope in you, areas where they need to repent and turn to you, areas where there's been long-standing brokenness and they have not let wisdom reign. And so please, Lord, apply your word, help us, lead us by your Spirit, which leads us into all truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.